Just great reminders as we start out this morning. You know, I forgot to do something during the announcements that I kind of promised that I would do last week. Um, and I'm very thankful for all of the friends and everybody that gathered out at uh, Haven on the Rock last Sunday as we, you know, blew up pumpkins and, and blew up other things. It, it's just another one of those things uh, that, you know, is a joy, blowing up things. Um, <laughs> You know, it was a good reason to be together, and we had a great time, and, and everybody was safe. And I promise this video, now, I, if you notice the, the countdown video that we had froze, and I don't know if it's because there are so many devices in the room, because this stuff worked flawlessly yesterday. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, uh, but no, not, no, I'm going to show that one. Um, here, here let's, let's see if I can get this to work. Um, we'll put this up here on the screen this screen right here on the east side, and we'll see if, okay, missed it. All right, here we go. Okay, now it's frozen. That's just great. It does kind of look cool. Um, is there somebody else in here that's airplaying something and hijacking my connection? Huh? <laughs> Uh, that's what I want to know. Is somebody else? Oh, and then I stopped it. Wait, wait for it. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, maybe next week. Something to look forward to next week, I guess. Um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, there was nothing left. Hardly anything left of the dishwasher. 15 pounds might have been a little overkill, just saying. All right, so, so we're going to have a funeral here this week. We don't know when yet, but uh, Keith Perry died on uh, November 11th, Veterans Day at 11.30 p.m. Uh, Keith was a cowboy. He rode his body hard in his cowboy days. He was a veteran. He served our country. Uh, in, through, in the military, and it, in some ways it was kind of special to Kathy that it was Veterans Day that, uh, that Keith took his last breath. He, uh, he handed a, black check, a blank check to our government um, when he enlisted. The, and those are two significant, among many other things, achievements in Keith's life. And, and Keith's life mattered. Not simply because of those things, uh, Keith's life absolutely mattered because of who he was, and that was Jesus Christ. He did many significant things through his life, just like you have done many significant things in your life too. But when we mourn the loss of somebody, we often ask those questions, um, you know, when's my last breath going to come? And am I ready for that last breath? And we need to ask those. What have I done with Jesus? Am I trusting him fully? Have I surrendered my life to him? Am I saved? Or have I just been coming to church doing this religious thing, thinking that because I'm doing those things that, that I'm in? When in reality, it has nothing to do with what we do, but what Jesus did and whose we are. We need to remember that. Um, we also uh, often look inward to evaluate our life's significance. I mean, it... Is the way that I'm living my life impacting other people, or am I just solely living for myself? It's good for us 
to evaluate that. It's as if the grief, shock, and anger, and possibly denial, and at the times of deep sense of loss, give us permission to think about those things, to evaluate our life. They're a great aha moment for us. And while we wrestle with life's significance, we ask ourselves questions like these. What is most important in life? What is the most important thing for me to do in my life? How do I fully live so that I'm ready to die? How do I be ready? Will I leave a legacy that benefits those who I leave behind? What's life going to look like for them after I'm gone? How will I build something in this life to carry into my eternal life? Where are my treasures? Are my treasures here or are my treasures in heaven? And as humans, we often desire a life of worth, a life of significance. I want to mean something to other people. And and although significance is in the eye of the beholder, uh, if we believe our life carries a weight of goodness that benefits the world and those we love, we will desire to leave this world knowing it served a purpose, that our life served a purpose. We want our lives to matter. And I need to to remind you this morning that your life does. It matters. But but what makes our life significant? Uh, We know that work and play and community and our home and investments and relationships can all add value to our life, but they certainly don't and shouldn't define our life. And this morning, I want to talk about an underlying value that as we practice it on a daily basis, or at least should, it becomes and is a foundational part, piece, not the foundational, but a piece of our foundation of our spiritual walk with Jesus. It shapes our perspective. It molds our relationships, it molds our attitudes, and it is something that we can 100% choose. It's a decision, it's a choice that we make, and that's to be grateful. That's to, to, to grow and learn the habit and the skill of gratitude. It's a concept that is highlighted in the month of November. Oftentimes on Facebook, the beginning of November, you see people start posting reasons why they're thankful. That's a great exercise. We should should do that every day of every month, the entire year long. What am I great? Somebody, people often say, what if you only had tomorrow what you're thankful for today? Well, that's challenging for sure. I'm not sure you could actually be thankful for everything in one day, which is why we need to take 365 days to do it. An everyday habit. Gratitude helps to position us in the right place in our relationship with our Creator God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Through gratitude, we appreciate God's gifts to us and life's goodness which compels us then to pay it forward to others as we extend the same grace that God has extended to us into the lives of other people. Gratitude creates within us a deep sense of happiness and satisfaction. It really does. Just like sacrifice and serving others does the same thing. You see, Satan would like us to believe that when we live for self, 
and only self, that that's when the good stuff happens. That's when we get what we deserve. And honestly, we've said this before, we really don't want what we deserve. We need to remember that. God is incredibly gracious to us, and as uh, gratitude creates a deep sense of happiness and satisfaction, it, it enriches our relationships, it nurtures the formation of new, friend, French, new friendships, it, it underlies the very foundation of human society. And, and as we live our life today in today's culture, we often say things like, there is a lot of disrespect in people today, or people are um, people are so entitled today. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from gratitude. It comes from selfishness. You see, gratitude is the enemy of selfishness. And that's an enemy we need to keep close. Gratitude. Gratitude. Let's, let's, de- let's define gratitude. What exactly is gratitude? Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace Grace, which, is, which are benefits that we do not deserve, and goodness bestowed in our lives. And there is an example uh, early on in Scripture. It's found in the book of Genesis. If you would turn there with me, please, this morning. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. And maybe uh, an account where you're, you're like, ah, how's he going to get that out of here? Well, let's just, let's just read this and see. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 8. Uh, verses 15 through 20. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. After being on the ark about a full year, Noah and all of those on the ark come out with him and then, verse 20, Noah builds an altar to the Lord. Noah's first recorded act upon leaving the ark on a blank slate was to worship and thank God. It was an act of gratitude. And and we ought to be careful to not just gloss over this action of Noah because this is an extraordinary act of of thankfulness on Noah's part. First of all, consider the fact that Noah spent almost 365 days on the ark. He walks off and he makes the conscious decision. The first thing that he does is he builds an altar and he sacrifices to God in thanksgiving to him. He says, thank you, God. Noah and all of those with him just experienced a form of salvation. God saved them. He saved them from destruction. He did what only he could do. He destroyed, at that time, sin, and he saved Noah and his family. And the first thing that Noah did was say thank you. And and as God commanded Noah in this moment, he did not direct Noah to sacrifice. We see this 
many times throughout the Old Testament, God will say, when you get there, or when you do this, build an altar and sacrifice, or build an altar of remembrance, or whatever. God didn't command that to Noah. Noah just did it. And this is an interesting, some interesting facts that I came across this week. At this time, at the time of Noah, in ancient uh, Near Eastern civilization, which at this moment in time is only Noah and his family, God had not given any commands up to that point or statutes regarding worship. They were, he, they were not given any rules or laws or anything. Noah comes out and he builds an altar and he sacrifices. Organized religion and faith practices were still a thousand years away from formation. They don't occur until Exodus chapter 20. Noah and his family had been the only followers of God amongst a society of evil heathens, Genesis 6, 5 through 6. Therefore, this was a singular practice to God, not a communal practice of the people. And offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving was not a social, religious, economic habit of his day. People didn't do that on a regular basis basis in ancient near eastern pagan worship when a sacrifice is made it wasn't a sacrifice of thanksgiving it was a sacrifice of appeasement to some god out there so that that god would relent and be kind to them Um, it was to keep them happy so that people would receive good um, good fortune not as a form of gratitude and noah did not offer a sacrifice out of the need to have good fortune or or a desire to keep God happy or to appease him, Noah offered a sacrifice out of a heart of gratitude. A heart of gratitude. It seems that his natural response to God for saving him and his family upon exiting a ginormous wooden box was thankfulness. Now, what, what would be the first thing you would do? If, if you were Noah and you were in his shoes... And, and you had just spent all of this time in there. What, I, I thought about this this week. What, what would I do? I know what I hope I would do, what Noah did. But would I actually do that? I, I don't know. I mean, during this time, you're tossed around the world by tumultuous winds and rains and waves. And when the ark finally does settle on solid ground and the, gra- and the water finally recedes enough... That, that there is room for you and all the animals that you have on this boat and you get out and you can walk and you're in fresh air, what would you do? I don't know. I Get out and kiss the ground maybe? Take my sandals off and run through the grass if there was any grass. I don't know. It had been covered with water for such a long time. I have no, I have no idea what that looked like. Um, Would you dance? Would you jump up and down? Would you cheer? Would you give high fives to your family? Would you you take in how much work you had put in years before the flood happened and and just look at that that ark and go, oh, wow, we did that and, and we're safe? Would you go on a picnic? You know, yeah, I know there's only a only two pigs. I'm guessing there were more than two pigs by then. I mean, did you think about that? Because it says that he sacrificed birds. So there had to be more birds than just one of each kind at that time. They were there almost a year. I mean, things happen. Why couldn't he have sacrificed the, the two mosquitoes that were on the ship? 
right? I, what, what would I do? Would it, would it be to build an altar and say thank you? Would it be to, to pause quietly in, in the presence of God and reflect on seeing his power sustain me through the last week or two or 52 weeks? Would it be to offer up praise and worship and thanks and gratitude? Would it be to gather your family around and pray a prayer of thanksgiving? I hope so, but I want to know so. I want to know that that's the response that I would have, and the only way that I would know is if I'd already established a habit of doing that in my life. When farmers is the last time, and maybe you do this all the time, I don't know, you, you finished corn harvest and you're done and you gather the family and you just praise God for a successful harvest. Out loud, together. Um, you know, we, we often pray at meals, but, but is that enough? Uh, is, is that really teaching our kids to be, it, it is, it, it is, at the least, teaching them that we need to consider the fact that this food is, is from God. But, but is that how we pray? Or is it God is good and God is great and we thank him for this food, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know that one. My grandson does. You know, does, it, does, does even in our great gratitude and our thankfulness become rote religiosity? Something that we just say and we do. Or, or do we consider and, and think through these things with our hearts in genuine gratitude? Let's, let's continue in Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of his sacrifice and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. And fill the earth as the aroma of Noah's sacrifice drifted up to the Lord. God's heart was touched. And in turn, he said, I will, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. And God blessed Noah. Blessing Noah was not a response to anything Noah had earned His blessing was not because he was a stellar ship captain who kept the morale of his crew in high spirits. It wasn't for having completed the ark by God's building code, nor was it a reward for his exceptional care of God's last remaining creatures on earth. No, Noah's blessing was not a response to his obedience, although I do believe blessing comes from our obedience to God. In this instance, I think Noah received his blessing because he chose to worship, which pleased the Lord because his heart was thankful. Noah's emotion overflowed into an act of gratitude, 
an offering. Now think about the English word gratitude. It stems from the Latin word gratia, which means to give thanks. And in the Bible, the word gratitude actually is the word eucharista, which stems from the word charis, which means grace. Charis, or grace, is a favor, an act of goodwill, and loving kindness for which we do not deserve. So gratitude is giving thanks. It's eucharista. Eucharista is an offering of thanks out of the abundance of grace shown to us. It is to give thanks to the Lord with pleasure and delight because we have received delight and pleasure through his grace, his charis to us. Eucharista is not a horizontal practice. It's not give and take. Uh, To and from. Grace does not travel one way and then come back. Hang with me. It does not travel one way and then come back. Grace is given and it is received. And it stops there. When we receive grace from Jesus, when, when we receive something that we do not deserve, our response is Eucharista, to give thanks. Gratitude. We have before us here the communion table this morning. In some traditions, they call the communion table what? The Eucharist. To give thanks. That just struck me this week. To give thanks. Look, um, we remember and we give thanks. We approach the communion table with gratitude. Gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ who did what had to be done and what only he could do to save us, to heal us from our sin. And we approach the communion table with gratitude. It, um, it is not to be a religious ritual. We don't drink the cup and eat the bread simply. We are to do those things with hearts and attitudes in the right place. It's something that we choose to do. God does not desire sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. It's not a a box that we check off on a list of things to do to be a good Christian, which, which we can do. We can do that with our singing, with our, with our voices. We can do that with our giving. It's just something we always do. It's, it, it just becomes rote, uh, which is kind of good in a sense that we didn't do this last week, which we normally would have done it last week. And I don't know if anybody left here going, ah, oh, that was the first Sunday of the month and we didn't do communion. Somebody came this morning and said, well, didn't you do communion last week? Why is it here? Because well, we didn't. And obviously you weren't here last week, and you're here this week, so it's a good thing we didn't do communion last week, because then you get to celebrate it. He delights, God delights in our expression, our declared praise and adoration, when that is an outward expression of our heart. 
so many times we see people going through the act of worship or the act of offering a sacrifice or the act of service, and we often say they're going through the motions. Have you ever felt like you were going through the motions? I hate that. And every time that happens, God says, wait, 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 wait. It's not about the action. It's about the heart behind the action. David described it this way in Psalm 51, 15 through 17. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. It's his attitude. It's his heart. There's a place in, in the Old Testament. I want to say it's Isaiah. I didn't look this up. I wasn't even going to mention it. But, but it, it's, it's just such a good, um, good word picture. Israel was, they were doing their sacrifices. They were doing their thing. They were doing their thing. And, and God's comment was, I am choking on your goats. I don't want your sacrifice. I want you. I want you. I want your heart. I, I want your attitude. You see, God's grace is abundant in and around our lives every moment of every day. And by, by choosing to practice gratitude, we choose thankfulness for the grace that God has freely offered to us. And that in turn shapes and changes our lives so that then we can offer a similar kind of grace to others in our life. I read one pastor and he was like, and, and he was almost in this. It's reciprocal. God offers us grace, and then we offer grace back to him. And I thought, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I can't give God grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve. God deserves everything we could ever give him. Everything. I can't return back grace to him, which is why it's not a horizontal to and from thing. Grace is something that we give. And grace is something that somebody else receives. And if that somebody else wants to extend grace to that same person, it, it can't be because of the grace that they received. That's, that's conditional, right? Grace is unconditional. It's, it's important to note that the gratitude we're talking about is much more than the words thank you. Uh, practicing Eucharist flows out of a heart of thankfulness. The gratitude for God's grace is, is more than just mere recognition that God is gracious. It, it's a, a, a felt response is intrinsically demanded by what God has done for us. There was a police officer and he was responding to uh, a suicide attempt. The guy was standing on a roof ledge ready to jump. And there were other police officers there when he got there. And, and these other police officers were trying to talk him off the ledge. You know, hey, come back. You know, we, you don't want to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this police officer um, noticed that it wasn't going well. The guy was getting more edgy, more anxious. He, he looked like maybe at any moment he might step off. And, and so this police officer did the first thing that came to his mind because the guy kept saying, no one loves me. No one cares if I die. No one will miss me. 
And the officer said that the man's despair was painfully evident as he repeated this sentiment over and over and over again. Nobody loves me. No one cares if I die. No one will miss me. And, and as the officers continued to try, it wasn't going well. And this officer who witnessed this man's pain, he said, all I could think of at the moment was, I love this man. I care for this man. I don't want to see him jump. And he begins telling the man this. He begins saying to him, gently, don't jump, man. I love you. You are loved. You're not alone. And someone cares for you. I care for you. I love you. The officer said this repeatedly. The surrounding officers testified that these words brought the man out of his trance of despair. And as the officer continued to tell the stranger on the ledge that he loved him, the man climbed off the ledge and fell into the officer's arms, sobbing. The officer held him, embraced him, and continued to repeat that he loved him. When the reporters asked the officer why he felt this way toward a man that he didn't even know, the officer replied something to this effect, I just felt I loved him even though I didn't even know him, and it broke my heart to see him feel so unloved. Because I am loved, I knew that I loved him. That's straight out of the New Testament. We can only love why and how? Because he first loved us. This is God's grace poured out to us. He loves us. He showed us love by his sacrifice. He, and then he rose from the dead and he offers us that grace to all of us. Undeserved love, undeserved salvation, gratitude is then our response. Every day we can choose gratitude. In fact, number three, gratitude is an exercise of grace. It's easy to recognize God's grace in our life when greater things are being met, but every day little things happen. God's doing little things, little things, little things, little things. I, I see them all the time here. I know I've said this before, but you guys think, man, we have these grand plans of these sermon series that we're going to do and, and how they line up with certain days and certain things. And you're thinking, wow, this Eucharista thing, it just so happened to be the day that we're, we did not plan that. I didn't say three weeks ago, we're going to do this series. And, and within that series, we're going to talk about this giving thanks in the Eucharist and where that comes from, and that's going to line up with communion because we're going to do communion a week later. That didn't happen. That conversation never happened. That thought didn't happen. No, the thought that happened was this week when I came across this idea of Eucharista and we were celebrating communion was, God, you did it again. You did it again. Thank you. I just felt I loved him because I am loved. I grew. I knew I loved him. You know, this, this gratitude is an exercise of grace. Children are a perfect example of it. Was that a wasp or was that a fly? Okay, whew, thank you. Just trying to be casual. You know, when Brandon was preaching... And that wasp was walking on under the underside of his Bible. Y'all saw it, right? We're here. I wondered, should I go up and save him? 
he was in a moment. Here's the thing. It's, it's a practice. It's an exercise that we do. As parents, we feel like one of our biggest tasks in raising our children is to raise them to be polite. To be grateful, right? Make sure you say thank you. Because when you say thank you, when someone gives you something, it's a very respectful thing to do. And we want our kids to. How many of you have been mortified when your kid was given a gift and they were like, nah, I don't like that? <laughs> right? I don't want that. Shut up, kid. <laughs> just, just accept it. You don't have to say anything. At the very least, just say thank you. Right? Thank you, Grandma, for the full-body knitted <laughs> jumper. I'm sure it'll be very warm. <laughs> say thank you at the grocery store when the baker gives you a free cookie. What, what do you say? I heard somebody say that yesterday. What do you say? Be respectful. However, when it comes to some of the smaller, more subtle things in life, because we do not necessarily feel them at the moment, we often fail to thank God for his abundant grace to us. So I think one of the things that we need to do in this practice of gratitude is practice being alert and aware that good things are happening to us. You know, the year 2020 was just, that was not very fun. And we all kind of got in the dumps and we, call, all kind of, we all kind of forgot that there were good things happening in life. We need to get back to that. See, I think the litmus test for actively identifying God's grace in our lives is in and of itself our practice of gratitude. Here, here are some things to think about. When does God hear me offer thanks for his carice in my life? Is it only at the dinner table? Is it only be, before a meal? Or am I doing that on occasion throughout the day? Thanking him for this. Thanking him for that. God, what a beautiful sunrise. Thank you for allowing me to see that. Thank you for creating a planet and a place that has an atmosphere that creates that. That, that makes, allows us to see that. How does my response to, to God's grace sound? Do I contemplate his grace and say thank you out of an internal reflection from the heart? Or has it become just a rote thing? God, thank you. God, please forgive me for all the things that I did wrong yesterday. And, and thank you for saving me. Amen. Hmm. I mean, that's something. But that kind of sounds to me like a sacrifice without me being in it. Do I take the time to consider moments of God's goodness and kindness throughout my day? When I get up in the morning, do, do I say, as David did, thank you, God, for another day with new mercies? Help me to see how you, how you work in my life today. When, when my forgetful and aging mother has a moment of clarity and recalls a warm memory, do I thank God for gracing us with this shared moment of, mem of remembrance or whatever it looks like? When we slow down and we take the time to recognize charisse in our lives as believers, we will respond with Eucharista. God's grace is all around us, in us, and working through us. So my prayer is that we make the exercise of gratitude an everyday occurrence. And number four, Gratitude is the practice of remembering God's grace. There, there's a practice tucked in the middle 
of the Passover story that often goes unnoticed, and, and I want us to think about it here this morning. So the Passover celebration, right? Uh, the Israelites practiced it for years until Jesus showed up. And he's like, okay, I'm changing this thing. It's going to be, this is a new thing. This is a new thing. But it still represents the same old thing. When, when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, God... God sent Moses, and he sent Moses, and he sent Moses, and he sent plagues, and he sent plagues, and he sent plagues, and the Pharaoh wasn't budging. And finally, God says, okay, this is what's going to happen. I am going to strike down the firstborn of every family, the firstborn boy of every family, except... The ones who follow this, 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 and this. And in the process of following this, 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 and this, one of the things that they did was they were to put blood on the doorposts and the top of their doorways. And when the angel of death came through town and saw the blood on the doorpost, that angel would pass over that family and their oldest would be saved. So that's, that's what happened. And God gave clear and precise instructions to the Israelite people regarding the actual Passover event. And the ritual and practices of the Passover tradition from generations to come came from that. And after directing the, the Israelites in the events of Passover night, Moses then informs them that they will be practicing a feast, a Passover feast, as a ritual for all the generations to come. But it wasn't just about the ritual. In Exodus 12, 24 through 27, speaking on behalf of God, Moses says this, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. God knows us well, doesn't he? We are forgetful people. And we need to be reminded. Jesus did the same thing with this table as God did with the Passover. He said, you need to practice this, but not as a rote ritual. But there is reason behind this. There is gratitude. There is heartfelt thankfulness. And there is the teaching and training of our children that they might also be raised in the understanding of this. Parents, you need to be ready when your kids say, what are you doing? What are you doing with the bread and the cup? You need to be ready to tell them the story, to tell them the events of the actual Passover and how when God did that, he was foreshadowing something that he was going to do in the future through his son, Jesus Christ through Jesus' death and resurrection and the application of Jesus' blood on the doorposts and the top of the doorways of our lives, that we would be forgiven of sin and that death to sin would pass over us. 
I think that's a beautiful picture, and I think it's something that we need to remind and teach our kids. Just like last week, we looked at why. Why do we, why do we believe the resurrection occurred? Because of history. Because of the men who witnessed it and told us, and God had them write these things down, and it was passed on from generation to generation and, and, and generation, and we have it right here with us this morning. So when the children would ask, why do we practice the Passover? God wanted them to be able to tell them. If they wanted to live as a nation of significance and not fall back into a nation of slaves once again, they had to practice remembering God's grace. Let's practice that as well. And this morning as we approach the communion table, and as we remember, we remember what Jesus did. His body was broken for us. His blood, Jesus said, as they shared in the cup, this, this blood, this cup represents my blood poured out for you. And, and when I am crucified and I rise from the dead, it's going to be a new thing. An amazing thing. God's grace poured out for us. Something that we don't deserve. But something that we can practice being thankful for on a daily basis. So this morning, uh, as the servers come forward, we're going to pass out the bread and the cup. Hold it if you would, and we'll partake together of the bread and then together of the cup.